What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I'm Tyler Matheson. In today for Kelly Evans, here's what's ahead this hour. Stocks hitting new highs to start the week, but can the rally keep going? We're going to take a look at the catalyst and the potential headwinds from here. And one group of stocks our market guests is especially bullish on. Plus, is this the year we will finally see the IPO market come back big time? Our guest says there will be movement and it will be high quality. He'll tell us why. And the tech candidates he sees leading the charge forward. And three more names on deck to report. We have the action, the story and the trade on Lockheed, D.R. Horton and United Airlines. But we begin with today's markets and Dom Chu with some record-breaking numbers. Dom. Record-breaking for sure for two of the three major indices. Tyler, to your point here, the Dow Industrials, I'll put a star right up here because it hit a record intraday high so far today. The S&P 500, also a record intraday high. The Dow Industrial is currently up about one-third of 1%, 114 points, 37,977 the trade there. The S&P 500, 48.51, up about one-quarter of 1%. At the highs of the session, we were just around 48.68, call it, right around there. And then 48.47 at the lows of the session. So kind of tilting towards the lower end of that range, but generally a positive day so far. The Nasdaq composite 15,362 is up about one-third of 1%, 50 points to the upside. Also watching what's happening with one part of the market across the Pacific Ocean. Check out what's happening with the iShares China Large Cap ETF, ticker FXI. It's down roughly 2.5% today. But the reason why I put this chart up here is at one point today on the intraday lows, you'd have to go all the way back to October during the financial crisis in 2008 for the lowest levels there. So some folks are wondering when the downside momentum is going to stop on China. But for right now, those shares still down two and a half percent. That trade has been decidedly to the downside for quite some time. Now we'll see if that sticks. And then the stock of the day right now is Macy's department store chain. You know what's happening. Arc House Capital, Brigade Capital, that joint bid out there for $5.8 billion, 21 bucks a share, rebuffed by Macy's board. They don't know how the financing is going to happen in some substantial way. So those shares up 2.5% right now. So keep an eye on Macy's over the course of the last year. Still down 21 percentiles and things back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you very much. See you shortly. Uh, Not just investors who are feeling optimistic today. A new survey out shows that business sentiment is also taking a turn upward. Steve Leisman is here with the latest. Steve. Tyler, good afternoon. There looks to be a rash of optimism breaking out over the economy among both businesses and consumers. The latest survey from the National Association for Business Economics finds the three-month outlook for sales, profit, and CapEx surging, <clears throat> and that 61% of the 57 responding companies forecast rising sales over the next three months. That's the highest percentage since the second quarter of 2021. A net 30% see improved profit margins. That's above the pre-pandemic level and the best since 2015. CapEx, meanwhile, improved by 17 points from uh, uh, to about average, and fewer businesses expect to charge higher prices. That's a good uh, outcome there. Likely driving business sentiment are the same factors that are leading to a more upbeat consumer. you got lower inflation, higher stock prices, and the prospect that recession may have been avoided while the Fed could soon be cutting interest rates. 
<clears throat> on Friday, the University of Michigan reported the biggest one-month surge in consumer sentiment since 2005. Now, it remains, as you can see there, below the 2019 level, but it's now rocketed up for two straight months with big gains. There were some areas of concern in the NAEP survey. Hiring intentions were muted, while wage growth is still expected to be strong. But those challenges come now, Tyler, with both business and consumers feeling more upbeat about the outlook. It's a better way to take a challenge. You've got business uh, looking more upbeat. You've got consumers, as you said there, in the University of Michigan survey looking more upbeat. You've got inflation coming down. I wonder, to inject politics into this, why the Biden administration isn't claiming more credit here or isn't getting more credit for this economy. Not that they necessarily deserve it. A lot of it is coincidence. It's not necessarily directly tied to policies. But I can well imagine that if the tables were turned, uh, that a Trump administration would not be bashful about claiming credit. It's true, but of course there's differences between the current president and the former president in terms of their uh, bashfulness or not, I guess is one way to put it. But Tyler, I am interested to see if there have been any changes at all in the national polls. Most of the polls I've seen recently have been local ones, and our CNBC All-America survey just barely picked up the beginning of this optimism in December. It was just a small notch, um, and it's shown up uh, much more strongly the last couple of months. So I'm interested to see if at least people are not giving as much blame to Biden as they did before. Mm -hmm. I do think that it may be a situation where they've made up their mind about the president. They went through hard times from higher prices. Biden was president, whatever the reason, either to blame or not but they're going to finger him for it, and they may not be able to change their mind about it. All right. Steve, appreciate it. Steve Leisman uh, reporting for us on business sentiment. Well, business sentiment may be breaking out now, but the market has been rallying since the fourth quarter, led by large-cap technology. Don't need to tell you that. Our next guest says that trade is getting crowded, and it's time to take a look at value, especially small-cap value, uh, which he says will be the leaders from here. Joining us now, Sandy Villery, partner and portfolio manager at Villery & Company. Sandy, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Have we skirted the recession? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we are going to skirt this recession. I mean, I, I kind of see GDP ending the year 0.7% to 1.4%, and we sort of avoid it completely. I do think that inflation is going to be a little bit stubborn, and so you're not going to see the rate cuts as quickly as maybe the street uh, thinks. And so when you go back to... 2022, and you're looking forward to a lot of rate hikes, growth certainly sold off dramatically. And then in 2023, when rates came down, growth had an unbelievable year. I just don't think that, um, I think that rates are going to be, you know, uh, lower, not until the end of the year, which is going to cause large cap growth, which is quite overvalued, by the way, versus uh, 20 year averages, et cetera, to really stall. And then the action is going to be more in these smaller cap cyclical value names that are very undervalued versus their 20-year average. Mm -hmm. uh, did I hear you say that rates came down in 2023? I, that's not my recollection. I mean, at, at well, the end of the year, rates backed off a little bit and as there was increasing sentiment that the Fed was going to cut rates, but the rates for most of 2023 were moving higher. Well, when you look at uh, the 10-year going from 5%, you know, really crossing under 4%, and they sort of rolled over that way. And now on the 10-year, you're back up to, a, say, a 413 or so. So I think that uh, rates are going to be, you know, maybe under four as opposed to really, you know, um, mm -hmm. taking off from here. So mm -hmm. kind of kind of an interesting setup. So looking looking at, at where things were in October, where they sit now and, and the forecast for the rest of the year, you see rates coming down. Um, right. 
Small caps. Why, why small caps? Why value? Uh, and give us some names. Yeah, I think with uh, a little bit of growth coming um, and, 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 and rates doing what they're going to do, I just think they're mispriced. Um, you know, when I look at things like, you know, Atlas Energy, I think energy is going to do quite well. Uh, they're in the middle of building a, a 42-mile conveyor belt system in the Permian Basin and just mining and delivering sand, a very simple, high cash flow business that's, uh, that's I think, uh, mis mispriced. Um, and so I think that's one that's interesting. Uh, you know, Pool Corp, uh, the largest supplier of swimming pool products in the, in the world, uh, I think had trough earnings in 2023 and will certainly look better in 24 and beyond. And I think the consumer is a little bit more uh, resilient. Uh, and then I look at Palomar Technology, which is another name that only trades at 15, 16 times earnings and growing quickly. That's kind of been left for dead by the rest of Wall Street as they chase the Magnificent Seven. And so I think that's also an opportunity to be in a, a name like that. That's, again, just um, uh, just been um, unfound and, and hopefully people find it. You say the trade in uh, growth and especially large cap tech is crowded right now and that you think you'd rather be in small cap or large cap value. I wonder, does that suggest that 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 it's going to be a bad year for for large cap tech and, and the Magnificent Seven or just that the smaller caps are going to outperform them? Yeah, I think it's going to be more of a stock pickers market. And I think a lot of those uh, larger cap Magnificent Seven um, are, are just going to stall. Uh, I think that uh, you could see a little bit of a, a, a pullback in the names um, depending on where where rates go. But again, I think with inflation being a little bit more stubborn, you may not see those cuts as quickly as people think mm -hmm. calling large, you know, making large cap tech sort of stall out. And then when people are digging through the rubble and looking for, you know, other names, I think they're going to discover that small cap is uh, is quite quite reasonably priced and, and money could uh, be allocated towards towards those sectors. Sandy, good to see you, my friend. Sandy Villery, Thanks, Villery and Company. Appreciate it. We've talked about uh, optimism in the markets and among businesses, and it seems optimism in the IPO market is growing just a bit. Bob Pisani has more. Hi, Bob. Hello, Tyler. Good to see you. IPO watchers are hopeful that markets at new highs will finally open up the IPO business, which has endured two disastrous years in 2022 and 2023. The calendar is starting to open up modestly. This week, Bright Spring Health, a home and community-based health care service, is scheduled to begin trading at the NASDAQ and could raise $900 million. And next week, Amer Sports is scheduled to begin trading at the NYSE. Amer owns several well-known international sports brands, including Arcteryx, Solomon, Wilson Sporting Goods, Atomic, and Peak Performance. They could raise $1.7 billion and is scheduled to begin trading February 1 at the NYSE. Here's the positives for the IPO market. The markets are at new highs. That's good news. Interest rates are trending lower. Good news. And there's an AI craze out there that many hope will flood the market with AI IPOs later in the year. The big negative is a continuing valuation overhang. That's the haircut that many IPOs had to take after higher rounds of funding in 2021 and 2022 put premiums on companies that the public investing community was unwilling to support. The result is many companies decided they didn't want to or couldn't afford to go public. A number of companies have filed to go public with the SEC, some of them confidentially, including Service Titan, which provides software for residential and commercial heating, social forum network Reddit, canned fruit maker Del Monte, restaurant chain Panera Bread, online ticket marketplace SeatGeek, Chinese fast fashion retailer Sheen, and cryptocurrency issuer Circle. It's a big list here. 
Auto rental marketplace provider Toro also filed public, as did healthcare payment firm Waystar. The list of potential IPO candidates, they haven't filed, but they're out there, include payments firm Stripe, buy now, pay later service provider Klarna, some smaller companies with public brand recognition like canned water company Liquid Death, you know them, they could dive in, as could Kim Kardashian's shapewear brand, that's called Skims. AI is the big theme for 2024. It's often mentioned as IPO hopefuls uh, out there include cloud analytics firm Databricks, as well as Rubrik, that's a cloud data management and enterprise platform backed by Microsoft. Gaming-focused voice chat service and social network site Discord, also frequently mentioned as an IPO candidate, as is cloud security provider Wiz, which raised $300 million in a Series D round of financing that valued the company at $10 billion. So you see, Tyler, there is no shortage of potential companies out there. We'll just have to see if it starts opening up. You this mentioned one with the sporting goods company is going to be a big one, though. You mentioned a tremendous number of names there, including yeah. Waystar, which I think was the name of the company in succession, but I'm not, I can't remember. I'm not, not 100% sure. <laughs> but at any rate, that does not mean that all of these will necessarily go public, does it? There, there's some that will, but it may be a small percentage of all those you mentioned. Yeah, so the ones that potentially win <clears throat> anything with an AI theme, they may be hmm. able to stay private longer and avoid this valuation haircut trap. That's what killed a lot of companies last year. They're not willing to take the cuts that the public market is demanding after they had huge valuations in 2021, 2022, and into 2023. I think that's going to be the big issue. The good news is the market's at new highs, lower interest rates. That's the perfect scenario for the market right now. And we probably have several hundred potential IPOs waiting out there. Some of them are 10 years old. Reddit filed to go public over two years ago. That's already a middle-aged company by now. There's plenty of venture capital and PC firms eager to find a way to get these companies public. Tyler. All right, Bob, thank you very much. Bob Pisani. Our next guest expects a second wave of IPOs, but he says it's not going to be a huge flood, and we might not see those AI startups in the public markets until the 2030s. Joining us now, Duncan Davidson, founding partner at Bullpen Capital. So you have a somewhat more nuanced, not, not more necessarily, but a, but a nuanced view of what we should expect, Duncan, in 2024 in the IPO market. A, a more, more a trickle than a flood or somewhere in between? Well, if you look at history, after the dot-com bubble, we had a second wave, Google and then Salesforce. It wasn't a big wave. But these are the companies you wanted to get into and hold for a long time. If you go back even further to the PC bubble, I don't know if anybody remembers the PC bubble, but I was around for that. It was a crazy time, like the dot-com bubble. There was a company called Kentucky Fried Computers. It went public, changed its name. There was a company called NBI. It meant nothing but initials. It went public. Three years after that thing blew up, Microsoft goes public. Oracle goes public. So I call that second wave companies. These are really high quality companies. They're the companies you want to buy and hold because they might become the future Magnificent Seven. So where are we now? Are we at that point where, the, where what's going to come public may not be a torrent, but it may be a higher quality of company than at other times in the cycle? Yeah, exactly. And I think, in fact, this is good. Um, people sort of have a thinking in their head that drop interest rates, we get a lot of good stuff in IPOs. No, the higher interest rates cull the herd of unicorns. Only the top quality ones should get out. 
And I think this is a good thing. And investors should look at this as a buy and hold opportunity and not a buy and flip opportunity. In tech, where do you what what are the names that you think will come out and and how do you rate them in terms of of quality and investability, not necessarily for the short term, but rather for the long term? Well, from a unicorn horse race, so to speak, I think Reddit will be the first one out, may even get out in February next month. If it does well, the other social ones like Discord will follow. The one I really want to see get out is Chime. It'll be the largest market cap of these companies. Fantastic company, neobank company. If it succeeds in getting out, then we have Plaid, which has been trying to get out forever. We have Stripe and maybe Klarna all getting out, sort of in a fintech follow-on from it. What has been that's holding my, that's the- That's my prime list. The others I, that were mentioned, I'm not sure will be ready or want to go out in this mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm. So what holds them back? You said they've been trying to get out forever. What, what, is, what is the impediment there? Well, the market just didn't want them. You know, mm-hmm. you go to a free seller or you talk to bankers and they say, now's not no, the time. So that's what the impediment is. But I think the time is coming. I think you're going to, the bankers are going to say, hey, this is a time to go back out again. Mm-hmm. The market's very well. You guys are such solid companies. Put it very simply, these are the tech companies that create enormous alpha. High interest rates, low interest rates, doesn't matter. They're creating a lot of value all by themselves. What was the surge? We have this chart up here, 2020, 2021. What was the surge driving it then? Rising markets? Oh, ZERP, low interest rates. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, bubbles are created by crazy low interest rates. And so you get crazy bubbles. So, And so as interest rates come down, you would expect some of these other companies to finally get over the fence. Well, quite the opposite. I think if interest rates don't come down or maybe come down a tick or so, it'll still let the animal spirits run for these companies. If interest rates drop too much, if we push them back down again, then you get a lot of weak offerings. Mm. Put it differently, these companies are better off if the herd of unicorns get culled and only the top quality ones still run. Are, is the SPAC craze over? <laughs> yes. Yes. Don't even, you don't even, go no. ahead. Finish your no, thought. The, the SPAC companies were highly speculative, and they've collapsed, and nobody wants to touch a SPAC. Nobody wants to touch a SPAC. Duncan, thanks so much. Appreciate your time today. Take care. Thanks for helping us. Dave, Duncan Davidson, Bullpen Capital. Coming up, chip stocks have had a big year, and our next guest sees those gains continuing because of one catalyst in particular. Just upped his price target on several stocks. He's here with some names next. Plus, top auto analyst Adam Jonas says each day brings more signs that global EV demand is slowing. Hertz selling a third of its EV fleet is one example of that. The stock is down 17% over the past month. But if you think that's an opportunity to get in, our guest says don't do it. She'll tell us why ahead when the exchange returns after this. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Electricity. 
a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Shares of NVIDIA starting the year strong, up 20% so far this year after its massive run last year. It's more than tripled in value in 2023, by the way. Maybe that's why CEO Jensen Wong was dancing on his recent trip to China. It was his first trip to the country in four years as chipmakers try to navigate U.S. tech, uh, U.S. China tech tensions. He reportedly met with NVIDIA staffers in several offices. Unclear if he also met with government officials, but he's a good dancer nonetheless. And while Washington is expected to tighten its grip on U.S. exports of advanced chip to China, our next guest is bullish on the sector, expecting increased spending in generative AI to fuel another rally. NVIDIA, one of his top picks, as is Intel, which will report fourth quarter earnings later this week. Let's bring in Srini Pajuri. He is a senior semiconductor analyst at Raymond James. Srini, welcome. Good to have you with us. Um, so you think that the, that the AI-led rise in a lot of chip stocks has legs, is going to endure this year. How much growth is it going to deliver? Yeah, uh, thanks, Tyler. First of all, if you look at the semi semi cycle, I think we started this rally sometime in October of 22. And uh, so far, the rally um, has continued very strongly, has outperformed the S&P. The SOX index has outperformed the S&P by about 45 points. If you put that into context, uh, typical semi cycles last you know, roughly about two years. And you get about anywhere from 30 to 50 percent outperformance versus uh, S&P. Uh, this time we are in the 15th month of the rally, and so far, you know, the the sector has delivered about 45 percent outperformance. Uh, normal times, we would say we are probably in the sixth or seventh innings of the rally, uh, but because of AI, we are still continuing to recommend that sector, recommend the. Uh, stocks in the sector. And uh, our view is that AI uh, roughly accounted for about 9% of the industry uh, revenue last year. And we expect uh, it to grow about 100% this year. Actually, last year, it grew about 200%. This year, AI revenue will grow about 100%. And uh, over the next two years, uh, we do expect AI to account for about, you know, of seven, eight percent of the industry growth, and this is an industry that actually grows in mid-single digits. So AI itself is, uh, you know, helping drive that, you know, high single-digit uh, type of growth. So overall, we expect the semi-industry to grow at a double-digit pace uh, because of AI for the next two years. Does so. So that is a, an encouraging outlook for the companies that are exposed to AI, and there are a lot of them. And we'll get to them in just a moment. But am I understanding correctly that you think that, 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 that there is an even longer term play that may not that will give the AI sector as it matures even greater growth deeper into this decade and the next decade? Yeah, again, you know, this is something new that we haven't had this kind of a catalyst in a long time. Maybe you can go back to the, you know, uh, the late 90s uh, in terms of the Internet build outs. Um, but as I said, right now, uh, the most of the benefits of AI are going to NVIDIA, as you mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. We expect that to broaden out over the next few years. Uh, we're starting to see companies like Broadcom and AMD this year. And then uh, memory, for example, uh, Micron uh, will be a play on this going forward. And even some of the network 
network connectivity chips, uh, companies like Marvell and Broadcom are going to benefit from. So we see any supplier that supplies into data center uh, to benefit from AI. And then on top of that, there's a lot of talk about on-device AI, edge AI. You know, people are talking about uh, AI PCs, AI smartphones. Uh, it's very, very early days. I think it's difficult to put a number or a magnitude or the duration uh, on this catalyst, but we think it's going to be big. So uh, as you look at people can't get enough of NVIDIA, and I saw you have a $700 price target on that stock. Right. Wow. They're just going to own yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, look. Yeah. I, look, valuation-wise, it's not that expensive, even though the stock has had a massive run the estimates have gone up even more. So, you know, this is a stock that used to trade at 40 times on forward estimates. Right now, it's about 30 times. Uh, I think there is some concern that things could slow down a bit. Uh, we don't see that in the short term. Uh, longer term, there's always that, you know, risk that, you know, things could take a pause for a quarter or two. Uh, we won't be too worried about it because, you know, it's such a long-term massive trend that if there is a pause in the next one or two, you know, quarters, we would actually view that as an opportunity. So at 700, we're yeah. still talking about 35 times forward numbers. I mean, it's really gone. I mean, it's, now it's at really $600 a share. It's gone up $100 a share e easily in the last, I guess, three months, something like that. Let's talk a little bit about a, a, a company that has been among the unloved uh, in recent years, and that would be Intel. You have an outperform right. on them. I don't know whether that's a tepid endorsement or a a, a, a relatively, relatively, uh, it's a right. pretty enthusiastic endorsement. Yes, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we, we've we been positive on Intel since last year. Uh, stock did quite well last year. And and uh, you're right, it's a, it's an auto consensus call. Um, you know, it doesn't get much love. But our view on Intel is that as long as they execute on their roadmap, which they seem to be doing, the stock continues to work. Uh, yes, you know, PC is coming back a bit. Uh, we do expect the server business to come back a bit this year. But they, at the end of the day, what matters for that stock is their technology roadmap. And they think they can eventually regain the lead in manufacturing from TSM, which they used to have two years ago uh, or a few years ago. They, they lost it. And uh, if they if they do regain the lead, I think that opens up a lot of things mm -hmm. for Intel. First, it does stop the bleeding on their you know share losses in servers. And then it opens up the foundry opportunity, which is a significant opportunity. And then it also opens up the AI opportunity. So as long as they're executing, you know, we'll continue to support that stuff. Let's talk a little bit quick thought, if you would, on China and how uh, export controls and uh, the, the chip business in China, uh, import controls as well, may, may be headwinds in this sector. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a lot of restrictions already in place and uh, NVIDIA will see some impact. But, you know, the, the good thing is that the demand in other regions are so, so strong. Uh, the impact is minimal in the short term. Longer term, there will be some impact. And also, NVIDIA is implementing some workarounds. Uh, I think they're working with the U.S. government uh, to implement some workarounds. Uh, if that happens, you know, that's going to be upside to our model. But even without China, we feel pretty good about NVIDIA's numbers. And, and that applies to most other AI suppliers as well. The, you know, the only difference is that NVIDIA, you know, has had significant exposure to China, roughly about 20 to 25 percent. The other, you know, companies are barely shipping AI products. So the impact is not as significant. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, even with the China restrictions, we feel good about NVIDIA's numbers uh, for the next 10 to 12 to 24 months. Serini, thank you very much. We appreciate your time today. Serini Pajuri. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, Delta warning about rising costs in its earnings report earlier this month. Those shares down nearly 11% since then. So will United follow suit before the bell out with earnings tomorrow? We'll preview those results. And sticking with airlines, the FAA expanding its inspection recommendations for certain Boeing aircraft. The details and the travel impact ahead. 
Uh, the Exchange will be right back. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Markets right now are higher. Uh, the Dow Industrial is up 61. That's off its high of a positive uh, 245 or so. S&P higher by about a tenth of a percent, two-tenths of a percent for the NASDAQ. Here's some of the movers this hour. Gilead having its worst day since December after disappointing results from a cancer drug study. The stock was at a 52-week high as recently as Friday. Not today. Down 10%. SolarEdge having its best day in a month on plans to cut 16% of its workforce. Best day for the stock, not so much for the workforce, in a restructuring. The stock is down 23% in the past month. Other solar and clean energy stocks are higher as well as SolarEdge. And Sentinel-1 higher after BTIG upgraded the stock to buy on rising attack volumes. Palo Alto and CrowdStrike both tracking for record closes today as well. And CrowdStrike CEO George Kurtz will join Jim Cramer on Mad Money tonight. That is at 6 p.m. You knew that. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. Let's go to Bertha Coombs for a news update. Bertha. Hi, Tyler. Cameroon began the world's first malaria vaccine program for children today. The Central African nation hopes to vaccinate about 250,000 children over the next two years with one of the two approved vaccines. Now, while the vaccines are only about 30% effective, the World Health Organization says they will dramatically reduce severe infections and hospitalizations. Thousands of faculty members throughout the California State University system walked off the job earlier today, demanding higher compensation. The proposed five-day strike will affect almost 460,000 students across 23 campuses, making it the largest university strike in U.S. history. And police in Roseville, California, arrested a woman for allegedly stealing $2,500 worth of Stanley travel cups. She allegedly walked out of a store with a cart full of the quenchers, then took off. Cops uh, responded, uh, some of them, they displayed some of them on the hood of a cruiser, saying, quote, while Stanley quenchers are all the rage, we strongly advise against turning to crime to fulfill your hydration habits or perhaps resale. The suspect was arrested for grand theft, or Tyler, I suppose I should say grand theft water? Grand Theft Water or Grand Theft Auto, whatever. Bertha, thank you very much. Coming up, near-term options in United imply a 7% move in either direction. And that's just not very helpful, is it? It could go 7% higher. It's not helpful. We'll talk about that as well as Lockheed. has only missed on earnings four times in the past 20 quarters. With shares gaining more than 12% since the last Fed meeting, one firm says rate cuts may already be priced in. For D.R. Horton, We'll have the action, the story, and the trade on all three in Earnings Exchange next. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Earnings season ramping up after last week's big bank results. And today we've got the action, the story, and the trade on United Airlines, Lockheed Martin, and D.R. Horton. 
Joining us for this earnings exchange, Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial CEO and a CNBC contributor. Jeff, good as always to see you. Let's, uh, let's talk United. Reporting after the bell had a lot of a bit of a rough go lately. Uh, shares down more than 30 percent in the past six months, certainly not being helped by that, uh, those Max 9 groundings. 79 United aircraft set to be grounded until Friday. Uh, Susquehanna highlighting the importance of airline capacity and routes as travel settles down following that reopening surge. You would sell into earnings here, Jeff? I would. If you really wanted to define with options, I think you can. But I can't own the stock going into. I own Delta, which is not doing just as well. But if you think about the impact of the MAX 9s, United Airlines, which is called the Friendly Skies, is not feeling so friendly right now because nearly 100 of their thousand plane fleet about 79 of them are the max nine so you wouldn't think it'd be that impactful but nearly 10 percent is being grounded right now so there's so much ambiguity the faa continues to seem to look for more and more tests and more and more reasons so i think the stock technically tie if it gets back above its 50-day moving average which is up at 40 dollars and 50 cents i'd be interested again but right now it doesn't seem like the story is over yet yeah. all the sectors of airlines are really taking some heat this week I, and we're going to find out with all the earnings but united i have to stay away the story is unfavorable right now. Let's talk about one that you do like, and that's Lockheed Martin reporting before the bell tomorrow. Shares up about 3% over the past year. That's not much, but rising global geopolitical tensions have refocused attention on defense, as you would expect, Uh, and specifically on Lockheed's F-35 aircraft. J.P. Morgan sees upside because of its uh, growth strategy and aggressive share repurchases. You are a buyer here, sir. I am a buyer. This is an essential 40 name. I've owned Lockheed Martin. I think when you talk about the election year that we are in, either side that ends up winning, I think you're going to talk about the geopolitical tensions that are continue and continue to come on our horizon. I think this is a name that's going to participate in that upside. So when you look at a competitor, Northrop Grumman, it trades a little bit uh, to a discount to Northrop. So forward earnings right here, uh, about a P ratio of 17 versus Northrop about 19. So I want to be an owner here. If you're not an owner, I think this makes sense. This is kind of a boring name type when you talk about the world we live in, owning these blue chip tangible names like a, a Lockheed Martin makes a ton of sense moving forward. Let's go to DR Horton, also out before the bell tomorrow. Home builder up 66% in the past year, but Seaport downgrading the name to neutral today, saying that future Fed cuts may have been priced in uh, during the run-up. The firm also watching input cost deflation, which analysts say could be slower than expected. You lean positive on this one, or is it one to watch because of yeah. its past gains? Well, I disagree with that note. I think there's more room to run here. I think housing, there is a supply issue. But DR Horton, this is the biggest builder. They're going to put 82,000 homes out there. And they have to hit a monstrosity of a year in 2023 when they're up 72%. But if you're a shareholder right now at all-time highs, you feel like Jason Kelsey jumping out of that box with Taylor Swift. You're so excited about what's going to happen for the rest going up to the Super Bowl. So where I think DR Horton can go is higher. I think actually the, the win in the sales for this could be lower interest rates. So that's a tailwind, not a headwind, and I don't think it's priced in. So I want to be a buyer here. I know it doesn't feel good buying something up 72% the year before, but if you have an opportunity on a pullback here, I think you buy this leading home builder. Let's talk about that game last night, the the Buffalo-Kansas City game. I mean, it was an amazing game. Who do you like this weekend, uh, Buffalo and Baltimore? Well, the Chicago Bears aren't playing, so (laughs) I I don't like the Bears, but at at the end of the day... And neither's Notre Dame. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. It's going to be a great matchup. And I think Lamar Jackson you know, has the ability to take him to the next level. So either way, I don't have a dog in the hunt tie, but I'm going to be rooting. Not going to have my shirt off like Jason Kelsey, but you never know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Jeff, good to see you, man. Thanks. See Jeff, Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial. Coming up, the FAA recommending more Boeing planes go through inspections as 171 MAX 9s remain grounded following that Alaska Air door plug incident a couple weeks ago. The models impacted and what it means for the carriers. That is next. Welcome back. The FAA recommending expect inspections for more Boeing aircraft. Phil LeBeau is on the news line with that story. Phil, this is beyond those uh, 900 MAX planes? Well, those are the 737 MAX 9s that are grounded. This new safety alert is not for a MAX model. This safety alert, which was issued last night by the FAA, is for 737-900 extended range uh, models And essentially what they're saying is, look, we want the airlines that have these planes to do visual inspections of the mid-exit door plugs. So they're looking at the door plugs, much as that is at the center of the grounding of the MAX 9s right now. But here's an important distinction. Of these 737-900ERs, these aircraft remain in service. They are not grounded. So why has this safety alert, alert been posted well, the FAA says that some of the airlines that have these uh, 737s, and by the way, these have been flying for a number of years, very uh, you know, a lot of service with these planes. Some of the airlines were doing some checks of the door plugs once the MAX 9 issue came up. They reported what the FAA reports as findings about the door plugs, and that was enough for the FAA to say, look, you need to do visual inspections on these. There are 504 of these that are in service around the world. The bulk of them, by the way, flown by Delta, United, and Alaska Airlines. So as you look at shares of Boeing, keep in mind that the MAX 9 has been grounded, what, basically two weeks now, and we still see the pressure that's on the shares right now. And these inspections of the 737-900ER, most believe that they will be done relatively quickly. Again, these are visual inspections, and the aircraft remain in service. Don't forget, tomorrow morning, well, after the bell today, we get United's Q4 results as well as its guidance for 2024. And we will be talking with CEO Scott Kirby tomorrow morning about that guidance and, yes, about the MAX 9 because they do have 79 of those MAX 9 models that are currently the, grounded. The inspection, the inspection recommendation, does that apply solely to U.S. carriers or does it apply globally? Uh, it's globally. I mean, when the FAA, they, they are the 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 office of record, if you will. So even mm -hmm. if you are a foreign carrier, when the FAA says we recommend that this be done because Boeing is a U.S. corporation, right. the foreign entities will, will do it as well. Yeah, very interesting. And these are door plugs. Uh, is that the, the sort of that rear exit that I'm looking at here? I don't know whether you that's can see the, what's... That's, that's the mid-exit for, mid for your larger. And remember, the 900ER is a larger 737. It has the capacity to carry more passengers because you have more passengers, you have to have some way to allow for an exit if there is an emergency. And that's what the mid-exit door plug is there for. Now, it's covered up, but the whole idea here is on these larger aircraft, when you have that capacity, you have to allow that uh, to be a possibility. Is it an emergency exit or, or not? You say it's covered not up. An emergency, it's not an emergency exit per se, um, but it is there. Um, because you have that capacity that is that much greater with that many more passengers. All right, Phil, thanks very much. Phil LeBeau reporting on the 737.
Coming up, Hertz becoming a battleground stock over its approach to electric vehicles. Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas is bullish, uh, while Jefferies is taking a more cautious approach. We will hear from the analysts who downgraded the stock about what has got her concerned. That's next. Welcome back, everybody. I want to draw your attention to shares of Spirit Airlines climbing higher again today as the company appeals its merger with JetBlue. The two companies announced after the bell on Friday. Shares are still firmly in negative territory since the merger was blocked last week uh, by uh, federal trade officials. Uh, but they have been pairing those losses since then after Spirit announced upbeat fourth quarter guidance. 2024 has not been a good year so far for electric vehicles with car rental companies phasing them out. Uh, shedding their fleets and automakers slashing production this morning. Morgan Stanley analyst Adam Jonas, remember the Jonas Brothers, by the way, uh, said each day brings uh, increasing signs of slowing global EV demand. And this could potentially get worse with another Trump presidency and the end of tax credits uh, for those EVs. Our next guest just downgraded Hertz from a buy to a hold and says the EV problems uh, aren't going to go away overnight, despite what Hertz has done. Stephanie Moore is equity research analyst at Jeffries. Stephanie, welcome. I love it when an analyst puts a stake in the ground, as you just have. I mean, you have cut uh, the estimates on EBITDA uh, by 40 percent next year to 500 million, uh, lower than the consensus by more than 300 million dollars. What's wrong here with Hertz? No, absolutely. And, and, and thank you for having me. Um, no, I mean, what, what we're seeing right now, it's really two factors that are, are coming into play. The first is that used vehicle values, particularly EVs, as we, you have noted, have decreased um, pretty materially um, on the EV side, but also broadly across the board. And that's certainly having a pressure on car rental stocks, but mostly Hertz, as you noted. The second issue is actually very unique to Hertz in that they are seeing elevated EV costs from higher damages and repairs related to these EVs. And these are higher damages and repair claims versus even, um, you know, internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, this is creating a lot of um, just lack of visibility into when, when these issues are going to actually subside over time. So while you noted we did cut our estimates uh, to about 500 million EBITDA for 2024, well below the street, which is at uh, just over 815 million, we don't even have a lot of visibility and, and faith in even these cut numbers. Is Hertz going to uh, – what they're doing, I think, if I'm – I'm not sure I've got the percentage right, but it's about a third of their EV fleet is what they're getting rid of. Is that right or – is that – am I right on that? Exactly. So, so they announced um, they announced about two weeks ago that that they were rebalancing their portfolio and they were going where they will be selling twenty thousand of their current sixty thousand vehicles, which are EVs in the U.S. Um, you know, look, I do believe that this is the right move, just given the cost headwinds that we have seen across EVs. But you know, look to your point, they're only cutting about a third of their current fleet, and they'll go so that by the end of twenty twenty four, EVs will make up about eight percent of their fleet. Um, it had been about 10%, but note that, you know, a year ago, Hertz was targeting that EVs would make up 25% yes. of their fleet by the end of 2020. They were pushing it. They were pushing it hard. Is, are, do you think they're going to get out of it? And will other uh, rental companies, rental car companies, Hertz owns several brands, including Hertz, but will, will they follow suit here to the extent that they're in the EV world? And is Hertz going to get completely out of it? Well, so you know, Hertz was really at the forefront of EV adoption. They start. They first started their their kind of foray into EVs with some partnerships announced back in 2021, and the other EV companies really have not followed suit to the same magnitude of which that Hertz has. Um, so I would. Expect 
expect to see that Hertz is going to be the one with the lion's share of the impact of selling EVs and kind of pausing the strategy, just given what we're seeing today. And what we're seeing mm-hmm. is, is, is a couple of factors. So, you know, the original adoption that Hertz expected from EVs has, has not panned out the way they expected. You just have not seen the, the penetration, the demand from customers, all of which is coming into play where you're just not seeing the same, um, the adoption that they yeah. wanted. And then the other side of it is that you're seeing higher repair costs because, honestly, it's a little bit of a different vehicle to drive. Well, it is a different. That's what I want to get at. As I give background here, you have your base case is an $8 a share stock, which is a little bit lower than where it is now. Best is $12 a share and downside is $3 a share on Hertz. That's pretty amazing. I wonder why they're having such higher, not repair costs. I guess I get that. But collision costs and so forth. Is that because people just are not familiar with driving those EVs? And so they're distracted by the touchscreen or what it is. Do you have any hunch? Well, I, I don't know, Tyler, if you've ever driven a, a, a Tesla, but the first time I got into it, I was pretty surprised by how, you know, how little you had to really put press down on that gas pedal, and you really don't touch the brake at all. So I think just the aspect of the the, of the amount of torque uh, when you are driving an EV, it's just a little bit different, a little bit more sensitive, and I think you're just seeing, um, particularly in their rental fleet, yeah. not in their ride share, but in their consumer rental fleet, they are seeing a higher degree of accidents. And then right. you take this a step further, and accidents are one thing, but uh, the majority of their EV fleet, they are it is Teslas. So what you're seeing is that Tesla does not have necessarily the repair, um, you know, the repair infrastructure than other OEMs. So right. you're also right. facing higher repair costs dealing with parts as well as um, actual Fair. labor related to the, the vehicles themselves. Very interesting. And you are so right. I, I actually do drive a Tesla and they jump. They are fast and uh, they get right. they get moving pretty quick. You're not not accustomed to it. You will have a little pullback on it. Stephanie, thanks. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Stephanie Moore, Thank Jeffries. You. And that pretty much does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.